your self-worth doesn't depend on external circumstances. Your self-worth does not depend on external circumstances. And this is where I share with others that they have purpose, they have infinite value, and they have a reason for being here on the planet. And I find that our society, which is so toxic and dysfunctional and, and shares all the wrong messages with people, it makes people feel worthless. It's kind of like, hey, either you're a, a superstar athlete or you're nobody. Hey, either you're the top of the world or no one cares about you. And, and, and it's a little bit black. It's very black and white, actually. So I share with other people that when you pull your self-worth away from all these things, whether it's your job and career that is telling you that that's what you need to have value or whether it's oh, you need to be the most popular person in the world to matter, or or it's something you're doing. Yes, it's good to care about those things, but you have to realize that your self-worth is infinite as a person. Welcome to season 13 of Purposeful Empathy, a show that is dedicated to amplifying the voices of people from across the globe who understand the world needs more empathy and are doing something about it. I want to thank you for watching. Enjoy the show. And if you haven't already picked up a copy, I invite you to do so. Welcome to a new episode of Purposeful Empathy. Today, I'm joined by Jeff Davis, who has the energy of the Energizer Bunny, and I'm very excited for this conversation. Jeff is the award-winning author of three books, including the Amazon bestseller, The Power of Authentic Leadership, Activating the 13 Keys to Achieving Prosperity Through Authenticity, and award winner of Reach Your Mountaintop, 10 Keys to Finding the Hidden Opportunity in Your Setbacks, Flipping What You've Heard on Its Head, and Achieving Legendary Goals. I love these book titles and the top three, the top 10. I mean, like, awesome. He's also a blogger, speaker, mental health advocate, and consultant. Jeff has delivered keynotes internationally and is an expert in mental health, authentic leadership and resiliency. He's a TEDx speaker. We're gonna include that in the show notes, including all the information about his books. He's a Forbes contributor, regularly featured on top podcasts around the world. Uh, and on the flip side, he also interviews senators, CEOs and New York Times bestselling authors himself. He's often referred to as the Muhammad Ali of mental health, and Jeff is known for his openness and willingness to go deep. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Dr. Anita, it's a pleasure to be here, and I'm really excited for our conversation today. Awesome. So before we get into sort of like all the questions I want to ask you about empathy and its role in your life, I may ask for the backstory, right? You're a mental health advocate. Tell us why this work that you do is so meaningful to you and what has brought you to this moment. Yes, well, thank you for asking. And this is indeed the, the core reason of everything that I do. It, it's my why, it's my fuel, it, it's everything. So I'm in my early 30s now, going on mid-30s. So let's go back in time 16 years ago. So when I was 17 years old, I was a, a senior in high school and society, which is always interesting, tells you, oh, your last year of high school is the best year. And it just so happened that it was it was the worst year of my life. And I had all of these goals and dreams for that year. And it just went it just went down the crapper. I was I was getting abused in areas of my life. I was dealing with severe bullies and I had a lot of unexpected setbacks with sports. And I'm I'm very sad to say that I actually uh, got a depression, a clinical depression, by the way. It was very serious. I mean, this was no joke whatsoever. I was at a all boys competitive, highly competitive private high school. 
And it was it was so uh, uh, unsafe there. And that's just my my honest experience is very unsafe. I, I did reach out for help. You know, people always say, oh, well, you know, if you're struggling, reach out for help. Well, I did. And, and I'm just going to say it bluntly. In my experience, no one cared. I, I was reaching out to guidance counselors and teachers and they were just so wrapped up in their, their own stuff. So I'm making a long story really short here. But in the senior year of my of my high school uh, of career, so I'm about to go into college. I'm 17. I should be excited for life, but I have this clinical depression. And then with this intense abuse I was experiencing and no self-esteem, one night, a dark night of my soul, I went to the garage, I picked up the rope, and I I, I very nearly uh, took my own life. I started walking to the tree. I just wanted to get out of the pain. Uh, this was a very dark, very, very dark moment for me. And just before I was about to take my own life, there was like a spark of hope that went off inside me. And the spark of hope, I, I don't know where it came from, a, a, a higher power, an unexpected source. I'm so grateful for that. It said, Jeff, put that, put down the rope, go back to bed. Someday you'll share this to help others. And 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 thankfully I listened um, to that spark of hope. And then the one the one thing I'll add, add in here to, to uh, complete this opening story is that I, I reached out to a, a very dear friend of mine and he said, uh, uh, Jeff, I, I have to tell you, no one cares. And, and I promise from the bottom of my heart, I'm not in any way whatsoever resentful. I know he was a kid just like me, but th let me tell you, like the fact that someone told me at my worst moment, no one cares was one of the most painful things I've ever heard. And that is my why. That's why I care so much. That's why I do what I do, because I want to show the world there's someone out there who cares. So that's that's the fuel of everything I do in this world. Wow, that is uh, that's dramatic. And um... I'm glad you had that spark of hope. Obviously, it's what saved your life. So when you talk about mental health and the fact that you are a mental health advocate, what is your principal message? Like when you're talking to different audiences and what do you suppose like really resonates with the people who are listening to you? Yeah, so I'll, I'll say the one sentence that is the core message. Your self-worth doesn't depend on external circumstances. Your self-worth does not depend on external circumstances. And this is where I share with others that they have purpose, they have infinite value, and they have a reason for being here on the planet. And I find that our society, which is so toxic and dysfunctional and, and shares all the wrong messages with people, it makes people feel worthless. It's kind of like, hey, either you're a, a superstar athlete or you're nobody. Hey, either you're the top of the world or no one cares about you. And, and, and it's a little bit black. It's very black and white, actually. So I share with other people that when you pull your self-worth away from all these things, whether it's your job and career that is telling you that that's what you need to have value or whether it's, oh, you need to be the most popular person in the world to matter or, or it's something you're doing Yes, it's good to care about those things, but you have to realize that your self-worth is infinite as a person. And that's how I help people realize that they are ultimately valuable, that they are worthy of love, and that they truly are here for a reason, regardless of what all the outside world is saying. I remember a therapist telling me a Walt Whitman quote that has really stayed with me and sort of, I think, aligns very closely to with what you're saying. So the quote goes, you exist as you are, that is enough, <laughs> right? Like you exist as you are, that is enough. You don't have to be anything, any, but you, okay. So fish that are swimming in water don't recognize that they're in water. 
Um, people who are growing up today in, in, in embedded in the ubiquity of social media and FOMO and all of that other stuff, like don't realize that there are other alternative ways of being in the world. I don't know whether or not you speak primarily to young people, or I think you also do corporate talks as well. So you're speaking to professionals more broadly, but I'd be curious to know what your personal bridge was. You know, you talked about that dark day. How did you get to a place where you recognized your own self-worth, right? And how do you guard against that despite all of the other things that are happening in life at all times, you know, where it doesn't resurrect its ugly head uh, as you're speaking in your, you know, early mid thirties? Incredible question. Incredible question. So uh, the first part is, and, and I will say this directly, it was a long journey. It still is. It was a challenging journey. It, it was not easy. That's just the, the, the honest way to put it. I'll say two words here, personal development. Personal development. I, I'm a personal development junkie. I own that. I love it. It changed my life. It's all. It's also embedded in, in, you know, I talk a lot about mental health and the leadership and the resiliency. It's really one umbrella of that personal development. So what kind of very gradually got me out of that pit is a, a meditation was tremendous. Also getting around better people. I also listened to, to I'll, I'll tell you, he's my favorite uh, author and speaker of all time. He also endorsed one of my books, Brian Tracy. And I'm, and, I'm, and I'm referencing him because I saw him speak in person and it was a life-changing moment. And being able to understand that, he, he said, it doesn't matter where you're coming from. All that matters is where you're going. And of course, yes, acknowledge where you've been and heal from it and understand it. And what he's saying there is there's a way to move forward. And I was like, wow, you can you can change and shift your mindset. And I got, I got so involved in this whole world uh, following his blog posts and branching out and learning from other experts out there as well. And that was it. It was feeding my mind with all of that that growth mindset was really it. And I, you know, I, I don't care who thinks this is cheesy or whatever. I've experienced it firsthand. It's a life-changing journey. It was very long. It was a lot of ups and downs. It was two steps forward uh, and seven steps back. But that's what that's what got me there. Uh, my first year of college, of course, seeing Brian Tracy. So that was when I was uh, 18, a year after what happened. And that was that journey. So personal development, I highly recommend it to uh, to everyone. I'll, I'll respond to your your part two of your question. Do you want to respond to me first or should I keep going? No, I mean, I'm a self-help, yeah. uh, self-development yeah. junkie too. So we're, we're simpaticos that way. Go ahead. Yes. Yeah. I, I love that. So, so part two, and I thought this was an excellent uh, uh, second part of the question, as you said, uh, how do we guard against it? I do. I want to be vulnerable right now. I've, I've come a long way as many others have, and as we're all helping each other here in this game of life, I, I, I still uh, struggle with those external influences and I still have many moments where I don't feel good enough. So I wanted to, I share that actually empathy. I wanted to share empathy with whoever may be listening to this, that it's okay if you feel that way because we're just inundated with, with these messages. So the way to guard against that is to have certain processes in place that keep you connected to your core. I know a few minutes ago, I mentioned meditation. I also highly encourage um, our reflection. Uh, I, I just got back from a recent trip. I had some great things that happened. I also had some challenging things that happened and reflecting helped me to process those events. I also encourage like 
uh, getting getting a good, uh, so you could call it a support network or just sort of resources that you can lean on. I know that if I'm feeling really lousy, I can call a friend or a, a maybe a, a relative or a colleague. There's even hotlines out there. Um, uh, three years ago, I went through a brutal burnout and I found myself calling a hotline several times. It was very helpful. So, that, so to guard against it, having processes or routines or methods and systems that we have in place to keep our mind our body, our heart, our soul, very strong. And, and it's not easy and you're going to have setbacks, but that's how you can, that's how you can guard against what society is trying to brainwash you with. Yeah. I love that. The, um, the, the vulnerability to share that you're still a work in progress. I completely appreciate that and, and relate to that. So, um, so thank you for that. Okay. So Let's talk empathy. What do you think the link or connection is between empathy and mental health and leadership? Yes. Well, there's a very clear and very strong link here. So uh, I talk a lot about authentic leadership in addition to the, the other things I do. And what I share with the audiences is that all authentic leadership starts with self-leadership. And I'm saying this because it takes an enormous degree of self-leadership to care for your mental health. Uh, Dr. Anita, there's a whole process here. You know, mental health isn't uh, just checking the box or, oh, I took a five minute break. Uh, th that's a great place to start, but it's so, so much more. And you need self-leadership to get yourself out of the, those challenging moments. It doesn't have to be the worst rock bottom setback of your life. It could be an, uh, a, just a, a, a setback in your daily life or a pit or a struggle. We all have struggles. And it's self-leadership that helps us optimize and take care of our mental health. It takes self-leadership to reach out to a friend or a colleague. It, ta it takes self-leadership to connect with a, a therapist or a psychologist or a psychotherapist. Uh, I, I've been in therapy in the past, many others have as well, and that takes enormous leadership and self-leadership. So that's a direct link between leadership and mental health. And then we throw empathy into the mix here, which is the, the, the great elixir, the great X factor, and what I love about empathy is that in addition to having empathy for others, we also have empathy for ourselves. And what I found in my experience, and, I, and I'm speaking from my heart right now, is that I found the more empathy I had for myself, self-love and self-compassion, the more empathy I had for others. And that was something that in my own personal development journey, which we spoke about a few minutes ago, really came to the forefront. The more you love yourself, the more you can love others. So don't listen to anyone who tells you that loving yourself is selfish. It's actually the exact opposite. When you love yourself first, you can have empathy for others. So we've got the self-leadership piece. We got the mental health piece. And then we have empathy deepening all of that. And that's how it all connects. Love it. So, what? okay, in the workplace um, or in life in general, in relationships, um, how do you suppose we can interface with people who lack empathy, right? How do we how do we manage those relationships? Yeah, that's a that's a very important question to consider because there are a lot of people struggling with that, especially in the workplace and other areas of their lives. So I'm going to share some uh, tips and methods, and and uh, feel free to uh, to take what resonates with you. So one thing I want to share here is, um, and, and I'm and I'm going to explain it is to have empathy for people who lack empathy. 
And, and at surface, that may sound like, oh, let, let's all hold hands and sing Kumbaya. And I promise I do not mean it like that. I'm all for standing up for yourself. And when I share this, I'm not talking about letting other people walk all over you. You can stand up for yourself in the right way. You can share what you need to share. I say this because it helps you feel more peaceful inside. This is another huge thing that I've shared with a lot of people that when you have empathy for someone who lacks empathy, you feel less angry and vengeful and resentful. And, you know, I'm, I'm being very vulnerable on, on this call right now. I've had many moments in my life where I've had anger and resent, resentment boil up. And, and the way I, I, I sort of contain that dragon, as I said, okay, this person is a total jerk, but what is going on in their life that they must be acting that way? And that doesn't take away your pain. So this is what I mean where I'm not saying, oh, let's all hold hands. Everything's fine now. No, no, no. It's still an, an impossibly difficult situation, but we're having uh, empathy for them. In addition, calming down our, our own demons. I'll just, I'll just share another uh, couple of quick things uh, to, to uh, bring this question together. Um, another thing that I, that I highly recommend doing is if you're in a one-on-one uh, -on -one conversation, to ask them questions to see if they can see a little bit of their own behavior. Now, this doesn't always work, but it does work sometimes. When it does work, it's really, really powerful. There are gentle questions. They're like, well, if that happened to you, how would you feel? Or um, how, how is the team feeling and reacting? Or, or uh, another good, you know, well, why did you do that? And and you're not you're not poking them. It's not passive aggressiveness. You're, you're not also trying to change them because if you try to change them, they're going to become very defensive. But okay, they don't have empathy, but maybe, maybe if you do it gently and respectfully, you can get them to see their own behavior through their own eyes. So you're, you're not trying to get them to understand you. You're actually trying to get them to see the impact of their behavior on others. Here's how it's affecting the team. Okay, and I know you have more yeah. to say, but can I interrupt yeah. just to share an example from my life of seeing that happen where Please I... Please do. Okay, yeah. so um, I was working in a building uh, on McGill campus, university campus, and there was one side of the street where if you showed up at a very particular time in the morning between 8 and 9 a.m. and you sat in the car until 9 a.m. reading your newspaper or whatever and drinking your coffee, you could park for the rest of the day for free. There were just like a few spots like that. And I was working from that building. I parked in a spot and my sister for a short period of time was working in the same building and was also driving in with a car. And she had surgery, like small minor surgery that day. So she would have to leave. And I wanted her to get the last spot. I got the penultimate spot. I wanted her to get the last spot so she could just like leave the office and go to her medical appointment. So I physically got out of the car. I stood in the last spot and to hold it for her. And two minutes later, a car came around the corner and wanted that spot. And I explained to the woman, I said, I'm holding this for my sister. I hope you don't mind. And it was a Monday or Tuesday morning, like not even nine o'clock in the morning. My sister was on her way. And this lady in her car, the vitriol that was spewing at me, like she was just, was like, like swearing like a sailor, but it was so aggressive that I actually physically got like sick to my stomach, scared, like heart palpitation. And she was like, if you don't move, I'm going to run over you. You know, like it was just wow. so bad. And I remember like I was trembling and I just said to her, is this who you are on a Monday morning? And I got into my car and I was like shaking. I had a newspaper. I was trying to read it. I couldn't even read it. Like I was just so 
like overwhelmed. And she came to my side of the car and she said, you know, can you roll down the window? And I looked at her and I really thought, I'm like, oh, she got, like, she wants to take it up a notch. Like she wants to like physically yeah. cost me. She's like, could you come out of the car? And I was like, I was afraid of her, but for some reason I, I, I just felt compelled. So I got out of the car and she took me by the wrists. She held my hands by the wrists and she looked at me and she said, no, this isn't who I am on a Monday morning. This isn't who I am at all. And we got to talking and it, she, it, we, we even hugged and uh, she went on and I went on with our day and it was like behind us. And about 10 days later, I hadn't given her uh, my email address. All I told her was that I worked in this building and anyway, she somehow managed to track me down and she sent me an email and she said that evening she got home and she was talking to her husband. They were both graduate students from like another province in the Eastern part of Canada. And they had a big conversation that night. She's like, this is what happened to me. She goes, I can't live here anymore like this. And he's like, me neither. And the two of them decided to pack up their stuff, move back home to the small town they were from, live a more peaceful life and continue with their graduate degree from afar. And so I think what you just described about how asking questions with curiosity and non-judgment, is this who you are on a Monday morning? opened up for her a chance to look at herself in the mirror. So I just needed to share that because I think what you're describing is so spot on. Like I'm grateful that I was that person that allowed her to see herself and the situation that she was in and realize this is not optimal conditions for living and like make a big change for herself. And I'm happy for her that she did that. And it also was a, a story for me that an apology, when it's sincere, because she apologized to me, like it just changes everything. Like I hated her. I was afraid of her. That apology was from such a deep place where it was like, can I hug you? Because I see that you're suffering, you know? And and that was a gift for me. I have goosebumps right now. Really? I, I really do. That that is that is one of the best stories I've ever heard. No, no exaggeration. Wow. <laughs> wow. I I I'm I'm speechless. I'm speechless. That that I, I hope you're sharing that in, in your books and speeches. That that's an incredible story. <laughs> <laughs> well, you opened the gateway now. You were on yeah. track to tell us tips. So I stopped you from the tips. So go ahead. If you can remember. Yeah. Uh, yes, yeah. Well, I that's an incredible story. Wow. Th thank you for sharing that, how you how you asked that question. You got to see her own behavior, her reflecting in that moment. And then after that, that's a life changing. Uh, that's a life changing moment. So, um, yeah, I had I just had one more tip here uh, uh, to add to the, the additional two I had. I just wanted to, to throw in and the, uh, the throw in this to consider it as a tool in your arsenal that if the previous uh, previous methods are not working, having empathy for someone else, asking questions, then I would encourage you to go to someone else in the workplace who's an authority. It could be a boss, a boss's boss, or even your CEO. And let me tell you, I've done this, okay? So I'm I'm not here preaching this and then doing something else. I've, I've done this. I've gone to CEOs when dealing with really difficult, toxic leaders, and it, and it worked. And I say that because you... You, whoever may be listening to this, do not deserve to be disrespected by others. If nothing else is working, go to someone, go to a CEO and 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 have change made. And finally, if nothing works, then then find a new job, then find a job. But those, those are all things you can consider when dealing with people in the workplace who don't have empathy. Right. Okay. So speak to an authority, leave your place, ask some questions with curiosity where you can reflect back. What was the first one as a headline? 
Yeah, have empathy. Have empathy for those who lack empathy. Right. Yes. And aren't we in society, as the politics polarize us further and further, where we begin to hate people we don't even know based on a couple of data points that are being fed to us through algorithms of, of you know, echo chambers, right? Like I feel even one of the practices that I do with... Um, in my workshops is a meta meditation where we send loving kindness to people we love, loving kindness to people we like, loving kindness to people who are strangers, loving kindness to people we don't like or who we don't understand or have different political opinions. And like you said, the fact that we send empathy to people who are in our minds unempathetic actually, you've said it so well, takes um, some of the poison that we feel about life away where we can open up our heart space um with more kindness and we definitely need more of that in the world yes yes we we, we need we need a lot more of that and like you said taking away uh, the, the poison you know as they as they say it's not the snake bite that kills you it's the poison that goes through your veins Hi there. At the risk of interrupting this great conversation, I just want to draw your attention to two things. There's over 150 episodes on the Purposeful Empathy channel. You may want to check them out, and I would invite you to press the subscribe button so that you get them into your mailbox every week so you don't miss a show. Thanks so much for watching. Without any ad spend or SEO, we have over 25,000 organic views. I want to thank you so much for watching. Again, hit the subscribe button. The world needs more empathy and you have a role to play. Okay, so what does empathy have to do with the current global mental health crisis? I mean, we've kind of teetered on that, but let's hear what you have to say about that. Yeah, so it's a, it's a huge huge piece. So we are indeed in a global mental health crisis. You know, this is not a play on words. This is a, a very real crisis with an epidemic of, of all sorts of things going on, anxiety and depression. We've got, we've got suicide rates on the rise. It's unthinkable. So we look at the, the, I'm on the front lines here as I talk about mental health to corporations, to schools all around the world. And, and here's what I'm seeing. Yes, the ball is moving forward. It kind of went from here to here, but there is so much more to go. We still have to go to here. We, we've only scratched the tip of the surface. We, we have not done even close to what we need to do. And people who avoid this conversation, they say, oh, well, we've talked about it for a moment. And, and it's not a moment. It's an everyday thing. It's a whole process. There's a whole routine. And there's a, there's um every area of your life that goes into optimizing your mental health. And what it has to do with empathy is that people who are struggling with mental health often do not receive the empathy from others that they deserve. Now, I'm not saying that they should play. I'm not saying people struggling should play a victim role or a pity party. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that people in the workplace and really people in society, people in general, they don't have empathy for that person. They don't relate. They don't understand. They don't care for that person. You know, they'll say things like, oh, suck it up. Oh, it's not a big deal. Oh, come on. Oh, get over yourself. And there, yes, there's a time for tough love. That's not it. When someone is struggling with mental health, that is not the time for tough love. And what I'm seeing is why the ball isn't moving forward as far as it should. Why, despite all these people talking about mental health, 
why is there still a crisis going on? Why is it still an epidemic? Well, there's a lack of empathy. We're not empathizing. We're not helping. We're not caring enough for those who are struggling with their mental health. And so what, what's part of the solution? Let's think about it, because it can't just be us as individuals. I mean, that's part of it, obviously, that us as individuals extend empathy to people in all circumstances, including people who have mental health issues. But I mean, you know, that that's only one important extension of empathy, extend for empathy for people who are taking care of older parents or a child that is, you know, has a learning disability. Like there's so many life circumstances for which we should be extending empathy. So agreed that we as humans need to do that and need to learn to do more of that. But I also think at a systemic level, so whether it's at an organizational level or at a policy level or within our, you know, the way we teach kids, you know, academics and the sort of, you know, the, the system of, of education, what are some of the broad things that we need to be thinking about in order for that to take place? Yeah, so at a systemic level, broader. So there, there's a lot here. I'll, I'll I'll share some things to, to keep the conversation going. So one thing is that those those crucial conversations are not happening enough, and and not only just between like a one on one individuals, but between organizations and and uh, governments, between nations. So we need to have those conversations. I I see it happening a little bit more, but and I'm and I'm not pointing a finger here. It's both sides that they're not. You know, not only they're not empathizing, but they're not taking the time to understand. Uh, empathy is not like, um, in my experience, you don't just flip the switch. You've got to work at it. You've got to have those conversations. So it's it's really uh, a deepening the, the conversation there. And, and I, I want to keep this practical as well. It's also so much more than our words, uh, Anita. It's also our actions. And that's what needs to happen at a systemic level. Not just like, oh, Oh, this is bad. People are dying by suicide. Oh, there's discrimination going on. All of the other many problems. We need to take action to create better systems. Are there are there laws we're going to be uh, put in place to completely abolish a certain uh, uh, horrible way of, of acting? You know, within a business, what are we going to do with deal with bullying? Are we going to tolerate that bullying, or are we going to tell that person that you have to change your behavior, or you'll be leaving the organization? And not only policies and not only organizations, but yeah, we're also talking about like. Uh, um, uh, more affordable housing and better health care, more universal health care and, and food. All of this goes into the actions we take to show that we have more empathy. So we can talk about it all day long, but it's really what really matters is when we are uh, when we take action and when our actions match our words. And that's how we can do it at a policy, organizational and also at a fundamental human uh, health care level. I love it because for me, that speaks to the politics of empathy. I, I've always said purposeful empathy is spiritual by nature and political by nature. And I mean, small p political. I mean, we want to challenge the status quo. We are not thriving under the system or the systems that govern our lives right now. And we have to advocate, agitate uh, a new way of being. And that does mean having um policy changes, like changing our economics, changing um, our policies in the workplace, like at an aggregate level, at a big level in order for us to, to flourish. So I love what you're saying. Okay. Um, uh, penultimate question. This has been so much fun. What are some of the ways to strengthen our empathy muscle? Yes. Yeah. So this is a, this is a, a very noteworthy question because it's important to note 
that empathy is not something you're just born with or not born with. It's a skill. It's a practice that you can develop. So be aware of that. That's that's very important. The other thing I want to say is we all have moments where we're unempathetic. We we do. I have I have them. I'm not proud of them. It's it's a, it's it's not about beating yourself up, but by being aware of that you're human and then moving the ball forward from there. So it is a muscle that can be strengthened. Some of the some of the ways that we can do this is we have to, uh, this is actually going to connect to the last question as well. So we're imagining how someone else feels from their perspective and we're putting ourselves in their shoes. It It's a practice to understand that person more. So this kind of connects to what we're just talking about. How can we get to know that person better to understand their whole, uh, um, uh, uh, the, the whole factor, the, the whole story? You know, maybe you can't understand their entire life story, but but the factors that go into it. And, and uh, you know, Dr. Anita, I, I've seen so much judgment happen in the workplace, uh, in workplaces I've been in in New York or or D.C. or the Netherlands. There's a lot of judgment. And the antidote to that and the way we strengthen our empathy muscle is by deeply understanding people. Now, I know things can hit the fan and, and things can go really sideways. I've been in those situations, so I know this is not always easy. But what I'm encouraging you to do is that even when it seems impossible to truly understand someone, see if you can see their point of view, and then you can take an action that works best for you, like standing up for yourself or doing what you need to do. So we empathize with other people while also keeping our own uh, self-care in mind at the same time. Yeah, and I really like something yeah. that you said, which I think is is crucial, uh, and that is to have self-awareness. Like, I think so often we're walking through life reacting to stuff and, and without self-reflection, without self-awareness about how things are feeling to us, how we're feeling in a particular way. Because once we know how we're feeling, if we're feeling frustrated, if we're feeling angry, if we're feeling disappointed, if we're feeling afraid, then we actually can move into self-regulation. Like being a mature, uh, having EQ, emotional intelligence, requires us to also down-regulate from some of these stressful circumstances. Like, you know, just as a little example, at the beginning of my book tour, my flight was canceled, not delayed, but canceled. So I had to get rerouted. And it was like a six hour delay. I was showing up really late in the first city where I was going. And so I'm standing in line, waiting at the counter to 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 figure out what my next steps are going to be. And there were two customer care agents, one that I was working with, and one that a lady next to me was working with. And my guy was clearly training the other dude. Okay. So I was watching all of this unfold. And even though it was a major setback for me, I had the headspace in the moment to accept that the guy in front of me was doing his best. And I would just have to live with the outcome and it wasn't going to be the end of the world. But the woman next to me was not having it. Like she needed to be on that flight. And she was like very angry at the man who was just doing his job to help reroute her and it, it, he had nothing to do with her pain, right? But the, it was very antagonistic and it was, it was not pretty to see. And I know I've been in her shoes. I know I've been rude to somebody because of a situation that I've been in. And I think that's where self-awareness is, is interesting because if she realized how stressed out she was and had a bit of self-awareness that, God, I'm really feeling stressed out but this poor person in front of me like doesn't deserve to be hated or treated poorly because I'm stressed out. 
let me take a couple of breaths and like just work through this. It doesn't change anything, but it it changes the relationship. So I think part of the work that we should be doing is to actually be monitoring our bodies, our thoughts, to realize what our triggers are, how we're feeling in an emotional state in order to like find a pathway to more serenity and calm because that can change the outcomes um, of, of, of our relationships, you know? Yes, that, that, that is spot on. And, and one thing, one thing I'll add to that is there's a technique called RAV. It's recognize, acknowledge, validate. So when we're in those super stressful moments, recognizing, becoming aware of how we're feeling, acknowledging it, and then validating it by putting a name to it in this example you shared then we can become more self-aware if we find, as we all have in those moments where we're being rude, where we're stressed out, and then the empathy is is lower. Well, well, we actually have to we have to acknowledge and validate it in ourselves to work through that mud to ultimately have a better outcome with another human being. Beautiful. RAV. I'm gonna keep that in mind. That's a very, very helpful frame. We have five minutes left, Jay. Jeff, it's been so good to talk to you this morning. I have one final question. And yes. that is, when have you been on the receiving end of empathy? And what did that mean to you? Yes, it was the summer of 2016. I'm in Phoenix, Arizona, speaking to uh, leaders, specifically youth leaders. I had a massive, massive misunderstanding with the meeting planner, where I thought the meeting planner uh, said that it's going to mainly be um, uh, basically older teens. So people in their late teens or even early 20s. So let's think like college age, like late teens at the at the youngest and more like early 20s. And I want to be very careful here to not point a finger of blame. I'm simply sharing my experience of, of how I understood the conversation. Of course, I learned from it and I can do things differently next time, but I want to get to the core of, of what happened with the empathy. So I, I spoke to this audience and it turned out, <laughs> Anita, to be like almost all 10 year olds. And there are like a few 18 to 22 year olds. And I didn't have enough time to change my program. I had prepared this program for like college age kids and, and more than half the audience were 10 year olds. And let me tell you, I I. I got crucified after. I'm not using my words lightly. I'm I'm really not. This is not not being like overly sensitive or something. I got crucified. I I I got, you know, that was horrible. Uh you have no idea what you're doing. I even was told, "Jeff, you are never welcome back here." So I went to the uh I went to the the lobby and I'm slumped down and uh and 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 I'm I'm slumped down in the lobby and just so happens there 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 was a uh, someone there who I never met before named Andrew Bryant. He's a speaker and he's he's now a great colleague of mine and in fact a, a friend as well and he also you know provides great tips. He saw I was struggling and he provided enormous empathy. He talked for me. Uh, he, he talked with me for two hours, even though he he was going to go out with friends. He he put that off and he spoke with me. And that empathy he showed me prevented me from quitting the the speaking business. I was thinking about quitting. I was destroyed. Uh, I deeply cared about the event and I got crucified. And Andrew Bryan gave me that empathy, which eventually led to a great speaking career. So that's my story of empathy that completely changed not only that moment, but really the outcome of my whole uh, entire career. 
That's an incredibly powerful story. What do you, did he say? Was it so much that he was listening or did he offer some advice? Like what, what happened that you felt so heard and, and held? Uh, both. So he, he, he listened to me. He, he heard me. He, he also, he acknowledged it. So he acknowledged that's important. Like he didn't jump into solutions. He acknowledged it. Um, he, he made me feel less alone. He said like, you know, this can happen. It happens to all of you, all of us. I felt very alone. I felt like they, the, 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 the meeting planner and the people there, they made me feel like, you know, I completely screwed up. Exactly. Very small, very tiny, very worthless, really. I mean, really. And, and Andrew helped me see like, oh, I, I have value as a speaker. Yeah, and exactly. Love that. And, I, and, and my, you know, I could feel the self-worth increasing. And he even said, uh, Jeff, this will make a great story five years from now. And, you know, that was in 2016. It does make for a great story. We, um, we recently met up again uh, uh, for, for some coffee and we shared a post on social media and people were very inspired by it. So he listened, he acknowledged, he made me feel less alone. And then, you know, he shared some other ideas, but he didn't just jump into solution mode. He also did a lot of listening and acknowledging. And that was really important uh, for my, my uh, uh, difficult moment. Well, thank you for sharing that very powerful story. I think the reason why I always end the conversations with this question is that there's always a nugget that we can leave with inviting anybody who's been listening or or watching and myself as the as the host to say, what can I do today that is a bit of that? How can I help somebody who's down and out about whatever who's feeling small and let them feel like they're worth something as you circling back to the very beginning. What was that sentence that you said at the very beginning? Uh, your self-worth doesn't depend on external circumstances. Beautiful. And he helped you see that in that moment. Yes. Jeff, I knew this was going to be a great conversation. <laughs> it has been a great conversation. The work you do is so important. It is so clear to me that you're in full alignment with your purpose in life. I wish you all the best. We'll have all the information for people who've been watching, listening to get in touch with you, get in touch with your material, your content. I look forward to meeting you hopefully one day. Have a great day. Thanks so much for watching and listening, everyone. We'll see you next week at Purposeful Empathy. Thanks so much for watching this episode, and I hope you'll consider subscribing to the channel. Purposeful Empathy is devoted to amplifying the voices of people from across the globe who understand the world needs more empathy and are doing something about it. You've just done something about it by watching the show. Again, subscribe if you can, and consider picking up a copy today.